Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Big Six Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm the host of the Shindig. It is Monday, someday in November. Oh, November 11th. Monday, November 11th. That's oh, oh uh, yeah, that's 11:11. That's always exciting. That's my favorite number. Uh, it's 10:11 as we're recording this on Monday morning. We're going to talk to Jason Lock and Ford in a little bit about some. Uh, I guess not esoteric discussions about football, but we get into Cam Newton and the future of the Panthers. If you're into such things, we uh, also talk about he does a victory lap of sorts on, ba- on Baltimore in the Lamar Jackson pick. I was hoping he would dunk a little bit more on Pete Prisco and Jamie Eisenberg, but you know, whatever. He's a classy guy. And, uh, what might happen with the Jets and Browns coaching search or potential future coaching searches should someone come along. But first we got a preview Monday night football, uh, Oh, by the way, download, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. All you people have been leaving awesome reviews, hilarious reviews. Uh, if, if you do that, you, if you leave a funny review, you will always get it read right on the show. And if you ask a question that you want answered, um, we will answer it if you leave a five-star review. So thank you to everybody for supporting the podcast and doing that. Now to preview Seahawks at 49ers, the man we talk to twice a week for the standalone games, the primetime king himself, Jared Dubin. Hey, man. What's up, buddy? No, I'm pretty good. How about you? I'm good. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm feeling, um, I'm, I'm enjoying this NFL season. I think I've been mostly right about certain things that are hat, like I've, I feel pretty good about how it's playing out and how I sort of, outside of the Broncos win the division, that was stupid. But, um, <laughs> my fantasy teams are kind of falling apart. Yeah. So that, that's not great. Um, but I'm excited for this Monday night game. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, man. This, I'm happy this rivalry is back. There was like a five year span where it was, Awesome, and uh, it's been dormant for a few years, and uh, you know little, we got the a little less vitriol with Kyle Shanahan and Pete Carroll than Pete Carroll and and John Harbaugh. Yeah, but you yep. know Richard Sherman switching sides basically sure. makes up for that. You would imagine that. I mean, if Russell Wilson throws, I mean, how many passes will the Seahawks actually let him throw tonight? Like eleven. So. I would uh I would imagine Sherm wants to pick off twelve of those eleven passes. <laughs> Who do you think Richard Sherman hates more? Pete Carroll or Russell Wilson? I think it's probably Russell. Yeah, I feel like it's probably a tie. Like I don't think he can choose it's one of those things where if you ask him today, it might be Pete. If you ask him tomorrow, it's Russ. And the day after that, it's uh Daryl Bevel for running the ball on the or throwing the ball on the one yard line. Daryl Bevel, though, two weeks ago did the exact same thing. The uh Sorry, Seahawks fans. That's all right. Seahawks are seven and two, second place in the division. The Rams just lost on Sunday to fall to five and four. It's not a two horse race yet, but it's getting pretty close. Um, and, and look, I mean, the, uh, you know, this is the first of two matchups between the Seahawks and the 49ers. Mm-hmm. And the, with the, with the, the second one coming, um, in week 17, potentially to decide the division. If the 49ers win this game and knock the Seahawks down to, to a three loss team, 
um, you know, and, and they're seven and three and the Seahawks or the 49ers are nine and oh, it's possible that, that this decides the division. So this is a huge game on Monday night. What, how do you think this works with, um, you know, in terms of what this, like, I don't know. What I mean, like, is this, is it, is it bizarre to you that Kyle Shanahan's team is the great defensive team and Pete Carroll's team is like terrible at defense and it requires a high octane passing game to be good? Somewhat. Um, certainly the, I mean, I didn't expect the Seahawks defense to be really good this year, but I don't know that I expected them to be quite as bad as they've been, particularly against the pass. I mean, it's basically, if you want to throw the ball against them, you can throw the ball against them. Just like don't throw it directly to a defensive back. They're giving so much cushion, giving up so many, you know, easy completions. It's a little bit ridiculous at this point. And, uh, they just really get no pass rush at all. Uh, even bringing in Clowney has not really changed that much. And, uh, I mean, the 49ers, it's, it's not like their offense is bad. It's just that the defense has been so good that it sort of, sort of overshadows the offense, which, you know, to be fair, is not one of the, you know, small handful of best in the league, but it's still a pretty good offense. They got 24 plus points in six of their eight games. It's just that, you know, Robert Sala's defense has just been incredible. And, uh, I don't know that that surprises me given the talent upgrades they've made up front. It's the, uh, the back end playing as well as they have. That's the surprising thing. And I think we talked about that a little bit last week when we were talking about the, uh, the Niners Cardinals game. Mm. Um, what do we think, uh, what do we think the Seahawks, by the way, injury report on this game is not, um, is not uh, ideal. Well, actually, it's pretty good for the Seahawks because Josh Gordon, Dwayne Brown, and Jadavion Clowney are not on the final injury report. That's pretty huge. I mean, it seems like this is a team that actually might be kind of healthy for this matchup. Um, I went out and had to pick up O.J. Howard in fantasy and start him on Sunday because I've got George Kittle on a team. It doesn't sound like George Kittle, who's listed as doubtful, is going to play. I, I would mm-hmm. anticipate that he's ruled out. That was sort of the buzz. It's always hard to say because, uh, you know, you hear it on Sunday for a Monday night game. Um, Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey, the two tackles, are both questionable. Uh, Kyle Juszczyk will be back, which is huge. Not, you don't usually say that about a fullback, but it matters for Bill Belichick teams and Kyle Shanahan teams. Um, and Robbie Gold, their kicker, might be, might be missing as well. So I, I wonder, um, let's start with the Cardinals having, I mean, the Cardinals, what am I talking about? The 49ers <laughs> having the ball on offense. How impactful do you think those two tackles are knowing that Jadavion Clowney is going to be out there, um, knowing that the Seahawks, you know, will be fairly full strength in terms of pass rush. Um, I mean, I think it matters some just because obviously you don't want to have any weaknesses on the edge, but I mean, the way Kyle Shanahan is scheming things up this year, um, I don't know that it matters quite as much as it might for another team with their tackles. Okay. Um, I mean, is Kyle Shanahan the coach of the year? Through eight weeks, nine weeks? Uh, he's certainly up there. I don't know that I could think of a definitively better candidate off the top of my head, but there are, you know, others in the mix. Like, I think John Harbaugh has to be in the mix. Like, um, who, who'd you say? Brian Flores? Brian Flores. Um, I would say just, you know, not Freddie Kitchens. Or um, just- not Jason Garrett. Not, who else? Jake uh, Rubin. Adam Gase. Adam Gase. Not, 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 not Adam Gase. Uh, not Sean McVay. Yeah. Um, you know, Sean Payton's in the mix. Um, Matt LaFleur, I think, has got to be in the mix at this point. Yeah. You know, there's a bunch of good candidates. Bill O'Brien, executive of the year. Um, what, uh, it, without George, or let's say they're missing George Kittle. Mm-hmm. 
how do the 49ers attack then? Is it, are they going to be real heavy run? Um, or do you think that they will try to really incorporate more Manny Sanders, more Dante Pettis, et cetera, et cetera, to utilize the, the wide receivers? I don't think that this is a game where the Niners have to necessarily change their offensive plan. I mean, the Seahawks have not been very good stopping the run, and they've not been very good stopping the pass. You can uh, kind of attack them in whatever way you want, and what the Niners want to do is they want to get their ground game going, and they want to work play action off of that. I would think that Tevin Coleman will be better this week than he was last week, if only because it's difficult for him to be worse. Uh, he had 23 yards. Excuse me, 23 yards on 12 carries against the Cardinals, who, you know, their run defense has been okay, but not all that great. Um, it was certainly pretty surprising that Coleman couldn't get going against them at all. But I mean, you look at the previous four games before that, he had, you know, 309 yards and five touchdowns on 65 carries. I would think that, uh, that, that he'll be significantly better this week. And then, I mean, Matt Breed has just been good all year. 5.3 yards a carry, ninth among 36 qualified running backs in DVOA. I mean, Basically, anybody they hand the ball to is able to run well, and uh, that obviously sets up their play-action game. And, you know, while Jimmy Garoppolo hadn't been all that impressive before last week, I mean, he's coming off his best game of the year. So, you know, I, I would think that they should be able to have a good degree of offensive success. Mm. What um, do, you, do you think by or sell that Jimmy Garoppolo is now elite after carving up the Cardinals on Thursday night? Um sell like I don't, I don't think that carving up the cardinals pass defense which has been carved up by everybody everybody all season that, like just beating the cardinals and having a great game does not mean that you are have arrived and taking the right. next leap in terms of offensive production because the cardinals yeah. are- <laughs> you mentioned him earlier i mean they resurrected oj howard who had literally <laughs> been left for dead um the worst part is oj howard said before the season that he's gonna donate a hundred bucks for every catch he makes to like a kid's Charity. It's like, well, make it a thousand, OJ. Maybe ten thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, do you, but do you think that the way that Jimmy G played in that game will, uh, empower Kyle Shanahan to, to really cut him loose a little bit more against Seattle in a, in a, in a pass defense that you can throw against? I think there's a lot of people who believe this could be a high scoring game. I think it could be relatively high scoring. A lot of it depends on, you know, we'll get to the Seahawks and what kind of, uh, offense they want to run, but, uh, I would think that – I don't know that they're necessarily going to turn Garoppolo loose, but I don't think they need to be afraid that he's going to suddenly lose them the game because of you know any major strengths of the Seahawks' pass defense. The, the strengths just are not there for this team in the way they were over the past several years. And you know obviously a lot of that is just the talent that they've shed over the last few years too. I mean none of the guys that made up – you know, the, the, the super strengths of that defense up front and on the back end are there. I mean, the only guys left are Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright yeah. at linebacker. I mean, Earl Thomas is gone. Richard Sherman's gone. Michael Bennett's gone. Cliff Averill's gone. You know, all of those guys that built the strengths of that defense aren't there anymore. And I think you're seeing that in the lack of pass rush and in the lack of good coverage on the back end. I mean, Shaquille Griffin has been their best defensive back for most of the season and he's just not really been that good. You know, you look at Trey Flowers uh, working on the left side of the field defensively. I mean, he's just been a turnstile all year and uh, it's, it's not like Jamar Taylor who has played a lot in the slot for them has been all that good, but they're also a team that stays in their base defense more than any team in the league with, with three linebackers and four defensive backs. And they'll cover slot guys with linebackers or safeties on occasion and just be like, you know, if you want to throw to that slot, 
go right ahead. And that's where Manny Sanders is operating a lot so far. So it could be a big day for Manny Sanders. Maybe he's your captain in DFS. Uh, what about with the Seahawks when they have the ball? Are you, um, are you convinced that Russell Wilson is a magician alien or an alien magician? One of the two. Yeah. Or I an mean, alien versus a magician. He's like, the dude is out of his mind right now. Like it, it doesn't even make sense what he's doing. I mean, 68% completions, eight and a half yards per attempt, 22 touchdowns, one pick. That's a 118.2 passer rating. I mean, and, and it's not like he's just getting these clean pockets to work from at all times and is being put in good situations by his offensive coordinators, play calling. Um, he's pulling stuff out of his butt throughout the season. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, leads, I don't even know what to say anymore. He leads the NFL in touchdowns, obviously touchdown percentage, um, interception percentage, like the lowest in the league, leads the NFL in quarterback rating, and he leads the NFL in fourth quarter comebacks and game-winning drives, four of each. He is playing um, <clears throat> at an MVP level, and the team is – the only reason that he isn't the consensus MVP, with only two reasons. One, San Francisco is leading the division by two or by one, one and a half games. Um, and two, Lamar Jackson exists along with Deshaun Watson. So, um, yeah, I mean, Russ is playing out of his, out of his freaking mind. I, I don't, yeah. uh, and I mean, do we, I mean, do we, does a little bit of credit go to Brian Schottenheimer for letting him throw the last couple of weeks? Cause he had, um, you know, he has, three games this year with more than 40 passing attempts. Like, in situations where they sort of need to, and they just kind of have to because their defense isn't very good, they've let him kind of cut loose, right? I mean, like, they, I mean, not, not, not like they're, like, running a high-octane up, you know, or a, a high-tempo, up-tempo spread offense or anything all the time, but they're letting Russell throw some. Yeah, I, I would just say that in the first few games where he threw a bunch of times, it was largely because they were down a bunch and needed yeah. to throw – all the time late in the game and he, you know, worked his magic late in the game. If they throw early, like they did last week against the Bucks, you don't have to throw quite as often. And, uh, you know, Chris Carson still wound up running for a hundred yards last week against what had previously been the number one run defense in the league by DVOA. You know, they, um, they're an established the run type of team and that's holds true almost every week and uh while chris carson is running really well and breaking tackle like i think he might have just broken another tackle while we were talking the guy is ridiculous but running is not efficient and uh when you when you run as often as the seahawks run you put yourself in bad down and distance situations most of the time you put yourself down on the scoreboard and that's why they've had to have four fourth quarter comebacks this year and uh i would say that they're lucky that russ has brought them back and won those games but that's just kind of what this guy does um you don't want to have to be in those situations and you know it's it's good to not be in them but they keep putting themselves in that situation and he keeps bailing them out yes he does that's because he's very good um what do you think about the fact that russell wilson do you do you buy into the idea that um russell wilson has a little bit of uh far slash mj in him uh, when it comes to playing on primetime, like don't bet against Russ in primetime. Do you think that's a thing? Is that real? I don't want to bet against him at any time. Like I, I think he's good in primetime because he's good, you know. Um, yeah, that's where I come down on it. Okay. Uh, seven and three against the spread as an underdog in primetime since 2012 when he was drafted. Uh, you know, the other thing too is like Pete Carroll's played really well at the NFC West. Uh, how much of an impact do you think Josh Gordon has on this offense? I think it's a good fit, 
I don't know how much of an impact it'll have though. Yeah, I don't know, especially just, you know, a week into being with the team. I don't know that he's going to be heavily involved right away. Um, it obviously takes a while to, you know, learn the entire system, learn the nomenclature, things like that. I would imagine they'll have, you know, a specific package for him, get him on the field for at least a few snaps here and there, particularly in the red zone, just so they have, I mean, if you put him and Metcalf on the outside and lock it in the slot, I mean, what is the defense really going to do? in that kind of a situation, but I don't know that you'll see Gordon out there on, you know, like 75, 80, 90% of the snaps. Uh, I do think he'll sort of gradually overtake Jerron Brown and David Moore in that number three receiver role, ideally, but, you know, the, the Seahawks seem to love working those guys in and particularly forcing the ball to them. I mean, it's it's just such a strange team. They do so many things that make no sense, and, and Russ kind of bails them out. Um, you know, so maybe Josh Gordon won't overtake those guys. Who knows? No kidding. Um, by the way, did you think it was odd that Russ was stumping for Antonio Brown? If Russell Wilson wants Antonio Brown on his team, I, I don't get me wrong. They would be in a vacuum, a perfect combination of running back and wide receiver because of the way that Antonio Brown has always operated sort of in a playground mentality with like Ben Roethlisberger. Like if they got on the same page, they could do some damage. But the idea that like Russell Wilson, that guy wants Antonio Brown and his like on his team is very bizarre to me. Yeah, I would find it somewhat strange that really anybody would want Antonio Brown right now as good as he is. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um what uh you mentioned that against Tampa Bay and I said I said this, like this was my concern for the Seahawks. I talked about it all last week. My concern with the Seahawks was that they would not be willing to zig Again, like Tampa's very good against the run and very bad against the pass. It was a very mm-hmm. obvious strategy when you'd go in. Um and I was worried that Seattle would come in and be like, we got to run anyway. And I know they ran a lot, but they were willing to pass early on and throw the ball. How do you think that they will approach their matchup against San Francisco? Yeah, I think they might go in the other direction, which, you know, is somewhat makes sense. I mean, the, the Niners have the number one pass defense by DVOA in the league, and they're just 20th against the run. And I think in the last two weeks, particularly, you've seen running backs be able to get on them. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, 117 yards on 14 carries a couple weeks ago, and then Kenyon Drake, 110 yards on 15 carries. And, you know, like I mentioned, Carson had 16 for 105 against the number one run defense last week. And uh, with with Quan Alexander out for the Niners, it would seem like, you know, an even better spot to run the ball. And that's what they prefer to do anyway. So I would not be surprised at all if they uh, they came out with a game plan that involved a very heavy dose of Chris Carson early on. Gross. Uh, what do you think? How does this game play out? Let's, uh, let's talk about some props. Oh yeah. But uh, does Robbie Gold impact your analysis at all? The, the idea that the kicker, the highly paid kicker might not be, uh, might not be out there. Uh, with all apologies to our guy, John Breach, um, Robbie Gold's, uh, availability does not impact <laughs> my analysis of the game on really any level. Well, you know, I do think it could be interesting. I think we could see Kyle Shanahan maybe go for more fourth downs. We could, but I would also be going for fourth downs considerably more often than any coach in the league anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I do think just uh, one thing quickly that before we get to the props, uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how the Seahawks deal with Sherman because very much like the Seahawks, the 49ers play sides with their quarterback, their cornerbacks. And Sherman, as he did when he was in Seattle, plays on the left side of the defense, which means he's on the offense's right side of the field and um 
that's just not really a place the Seahawks go with their offense naturally all that often because DK Metcalf lines up on the left side of the offense like 60 or 70 percent of the time and early in the season that was like 90 percent of the time and then obviously Tyler Lockett lines up in the slot more often than not so just naturally they don't attack Sherman's area of the field that much but you know are they gonna want to you know try to test them a little bit and I'm interested to see what they do there Hmm. Uh, I am too because they can move or they have a little schematic advantage from that standpoint. Uh, let's go over under Jimmy G or what's up with Russell Wilson? Uh, Russell Wilson over under 256.5 passing yards. I don't feel comfortable going under on anything having to do with Russell Wilson except interceptions. That's fair. No, um, he's not, he, he doesn't throw picks. He's very efficient. Uh, so you will, you don't love the over, but you would take the over in that case. Yeah. I mean, I just like, what's the scenario where Russ, doesn't throw for 260 whatever yards. I mean, like, if the 49ers are winning, then the Seahawks are going to throw, and when Russ throws, he's good. I mean, I guess if the Seahawks jump out to, like, a 21 nothing lead in the first few minutes, and then Brian Schottenheimer's like, yes, I get to run the ball all night, and Carson has 35 carries. Um, I don't know. I just There's not really a scenario I see where, where Russ doesn't at least uh, get something going. Uh, what about Jimmy G? Over under 252.5, 252.5 passing yards. I guess I'll go over there too. Um, I don't think that the Seahawks defense is that much of a threat. And even though, you know, much like the Seahawks offense, the 49ers offense wants to run it a bit too. I do think that when you try to throw on Seattle, there are chunk gains available there, even if you're doing check downs because they're willing to give you a couple yards. Uh, you know, five, six, seven yards at the catch point and then try to rally to the ball. Um, yeah, so I, I think that both teams could throw it. Both teams could run it. I think I would like to, if I was if I was taking something on this, I would probably take the – it would probably be juicy, um, but I would take the over. If you can get a – Jimmy G will throw at least two passing touchdowns or over under uh, one and a half. I would take the over on Jimmy G. I mean, you look at the Seahawks team, like virtually every – quarterback they've played against I mean, Kyler Murray didn't do it but he had a bunch of passing yards I think um you know Teddy Bridgewater did it Mason Rudolph did it uh, Andy Dalton did it against against Seattle um you know Jared Goff had uh, only had one but like most of the people that the Seahawks have played have been able to find the end zone with you know passing the ball so I would um I like the spot for Jimmy G especially if you know the Seahawks are packing the line um, you know, mm-hmm. try to avoid letting letting the 49ers run in the red zone. I think we could see several passing touchdowns from uh, from Jimmy G. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would caution there is that they do love to run when they get in True. close. Like, they would very strongly prefer to run. And it might have to be, you know, a double-digit yard pass for uh, for Jimmy to find the end zone passing. Fair enough. Over under Chris Carson, 78.5 rushing yards. Sheesh. I mean, I guess based on, you know, what I said earlier, I might go over. I mean, the last two running backs have been over 110 yards on not very many carries. And, I mean, Carson's just running unbelievably well yeah. all year. And the, the Niners' run defense has just, you know, not been all that good. So, yeah, I mean, I think Carson can go over too. I would lean under on that. I, I don't love it. I would I would lean under only because I think there's a chance that the 49ers could get out to a lead. And then we see Russell just – you know, throwing the whole time. But like, you're right. You really think Braden Schottenheimer isn't upset that Carson only got 16 carries last week and is going to absolutely make sure he gets 25 this week? Like, <laughs> even if they're down 21 nothing, 37 seconds into the game, Chris Carson is getting the ball so many times tonight. 
Chris Carson is averaging 21.7 carries. That was the first time since week three that he had less than 20 carries. Uh, and uh, 4.7 yards per attempt. This is over the last six games, uh, as well as 101 yards rushing. I mean, he's been awesome. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe he does feed him. Uh, yeah, don't mess with Brian Schottenheimer and an under on rushing. How about Tevin Coleman over under 51 and a half rushing yards? That is a low number. It was like 79 last week, and then uh, then Breida and, and everybody else played, so it, it dropped significantly. Yeah, I mean, I want to say over because I do think the 49ers can have success on the ground. I just don't know whether it'll be Coleman or Breida. Right. Like if you would, if you said to me. One of the two 49ers backs will have more than 50 yards rushing. Definitely yes. But I don't know that I could say which one. Uh, Tyler Lockett over under 80 and a half receiving yards. Oh, that's high. Um, I cannot imagine he's matched up with Richard Sherman much. No, no, no. I mean, he's going to be in the slot like 70% of the time or something like that. Um, going to see a lot of Kwan Williams, I would imagine. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, that's a really tough one. I think that Wilson could have success throwing to not lock it. Uh, and I do think he'll have success, but I also think like two big plays and Lockett's already there, you know? Um, I don't have a strong feel for the over under on that one. Yeah. I mean, Lockett's got 252 receiving yards the last two weeks, 19 total catches, but against Atlanta and Tampa. Two really bad pass defenses. And so I think it's conceivable that, I mean, this is a shootout. He's going to, if this is a shootout and the game goes over, mm-hmm. he's going to go over that receiving rush. I, would I guess with, the, if I'm taking the Russ over, I probably need to be taking the locket over, right? Yeah. The correlation there. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, Tyler Lockett's just turned into a number one wide receiver. Oh yeah. He's yeah. ridiculous. He's the most underrated I mean, receiver in, the, in football right now. He took Doug yeah. Baldwin's place. So I mean, the biggest thing to me is just the contested catches for a guy his size. You know, he's a, a small yeah. wide receiver. And, I mean, he's just elite at contested catches. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. He uses his upper body to create leverage and separation at the point of the catch. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's unbelievable. The guy is awesome. I, I was I was just – I don't – I just didn't remember, and I like – I mean, he was a monster in college his last two years. I don't even remember him at Kansas State, really, because I didn't, I don't watch a ton of Big 12 football or like Kansas State football, but like he, he had 106 catches and 1500 yards, receiving yards, 11 touchdowns his senior year at Kansas State. I mean, that's an absurd number. And I think, wasn't that, I mean, that was with a Bill Snyder team. Like, you're not supposed to be putting up those Maybe kind of- the Seahawks should feed him that many targets. I mean, I don't know. The last time I watched Kansas State was back with, like, L. Roberson, Darren Sproles, and Terrence Newman. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, uh, maybe give Tyler Lockett 150 targets in a season. Just see what happens, guys. Come on. Kidding. 70 targets last year. Get out of here, Seahawks. All right, last one, Emmanuel Sanders, over under 65 and a half receiving yards. Uh, I think I can go over there, too. I mean, him and Jimmy look like they have a nice rhythm going so far. Garoppolo is 11 of 14 for 137 yards and two touchdowns, throwing a Sanders in two games. And obviously in the first game, he wasn't playing uh, a full complement of the snaps. And uh, like I said, the Se- it's not like the Seahawks are all that great covering guys out of the slot. And even if Sanders lines up on the outside, I mean, all you got to do is line up on the left side of the offense, and he can go to work on Trey Flowers. So 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, I could go over there, too. And now I'm realizing that I probably should have picked a higher score than I did. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask, do you have a um, do you have a high-scoring game between these two teams, and what is your uh, predicted outcome? I mean, I suppose it's a relatively high-scoring game for two teams that like to run so much. I got 26-23 Seahawks. Ooh, the upset. I love it. I actually have uh, Seattle winning, too. And you know your, uh, do you know what the over-under is? Uh, I don't. 48, so you're right on it. <laughs> I, I know the Niners are a decent-sized favorite, though, right? Yeah. yeah. Six, six points or six and a half points, I believe, depending on where – let's see. I'll tell you where it is right now. It is – I think it's six. Yeah, I kind of settled back in at six. The over-under is yeah. at 48. Um, six I just the- think both teams are good. Both teams can have success. And, like, in that situation, give me the better quarterback. Yeah, and, I mean, like I said, we've seen the, um, you know, Russell Wilson has played really well in, in prime time. I just have a hard time believing that he's going to go into San Francisco. I, I realize that, like, multiple teams have gone into San Francisco and gotten their butt kicked. Like, the Panthers mm-hmm. went there, you know, recently and got the, the snot kicked at him. I get it. Um, but I just have a hard time believing that the – that the pan, that the that the Seahawks will just get smothered, right? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat. I don't know necessarily that it's because the game is in prime time. Like, I think Russell Wilson plays well in prime time because Russell Wilson plays well. Like, I don't know, ninety ninety five percent of the time. Um, you know, the same reason like Tom Brady is good in prime time or Peyton Manning is good in prime time. The best guys are the best because they're the best and they're really good all the time. Um, sure. You know. Uh, especially when you look at it, like what do you say? What it, what it was seven and three in primetime games, like against the spread. That, that's what that's what like ten percent of his career. Not even like you know, like he's good because he's good, man. Okay. Um. By the way, Pete Carroll as an underdog in NFC West matchups since two thousand eleven uh, is twenty nine twelve and four against the spread. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, a lot of those he's won outright, of course. That um, seems like a lot of games against the NFC West to be you know, an underdog. That can't be right. That can't be right. Why is yeah. There's no way they've even played that many division you know, you know, games, you know, right? You know, yeah, I'm an idiot. I did. Um, I was like, how has he played? Has he been an underdog 49 times? That's right. That's not right. It's I did. I did team division in on Pro Football Reference instead of opponent division. Uh, ah. This makes way more sense. <laughs> um Many less games, many, many, many less games. Only fourteen of them, but uh, he is, let's see, uh, ten, three, and one against the spread. So still, like, roughly the same percentage. Pete Carroll is an underdog is a very good bet because Pete Carroll is not typically an underdog, and he tends to get his team hyped up, and he tends to, you know, they tend to cover in these spots. Um, and in fact, in those games, they've only won five of them. They tied against the the Cardinals. Uh, back in, remember that Sunday night game in 2016. Um, oh, right. That game was horrible. But it wasn't it beautiful? No, no. Okay. it wasn't. Um, <laughs> I, I think would... I was on for that game that night, and yeah. uh, oh, it was not fun. How did my brain functionally think Pete Carroll had been an underdog 45 times since 2011? <laughs> it was a good stat, so you wanted to use it. it. He was, yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think – I like I like the Seahawks in the spot. I think they win. I think it'll be very close. I think it'll be an awesome game. I think it'll be high scoring, and uh, I think it's going to be a fun game. It's a rare, uh, awesome Monday night football game late in the year, dude. So we should be excited about it. Yeah, man, I'm excited for this game. I'm excited to see what happens if and when Russ decides to throw 
at Sherman. I'm excited to see Pete Carroll chewing some gum. Uh, some cat yeah. on and some white shoes. Oh yeah, let's go. Yeah, uh, it's gonna be fun, right. man. I'm, ha- I'm happy this rivalry is back. Me too. All right, buddy. Uh, we're gonna take a break and then we'll talk to Jason Lockenfora. Thanks as always, dudes. Thanks, man. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. New CBS Monday. NCIS. Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Finally, I live got here. Walk into paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching, these have been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii. Monday starting at 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, joining us now, as he does every Monday, to uh, talk about news, notes around the NFL, and perhaps to take a victory lap of Lamar Jackson, the one, the only, Jason Lockenfora. What's up, buddy? What's going on, dude? Oh, How you doing? Would you like to take a lap on on uh, Lamar? Nah. No, I mean, look, it is what it is. Um, he, uh, I'm just glad that the people, I, I mean, I, I live in Baltimore. I don't know if everybody knows that or not. But um I don't have a rooting interest either way. But as someone who lives in the city and makes a living off of football and to see how um, the real, like covenant between this team and, and these fans, which seemed unbreakable, you know, from the time that they established themselves here and got their own stadium. And, and once people got over their conflicted feelings about – damn, we had to steal the Browns to replace the Colts. And there was a large part of this city that it took a while to come around and just embrace, you know, that, hey, this is our thing. <laughs> From that point until a couple years ago, it, they this was a, a football town, and it was all Ravens all the time, and seats were tough to get and blah, 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 blah. And then for, you know, um, I, I think about seven, eight years into sort of the Joe Flacco era, people just were kind of like, man, like, can we ever score points? You know what I mean? Like, do we really need 54-yard checkdowns a game? And, you know, it, it just got hard to watch. And you also had all the stuff going on with Trump and the kneeling and the Ravens playing in London against the Jags and getting blown out. And Ray Lewis is on the sidelines kneeling, too. And whatever your feelings about that were, it was obviously right around 2016, things were pretty divisive in this country. And especially it was a unique year for the NFL with Colin Kaepernick blowing up and Steve Bashotti sticking his think finger in the air and saying, well, maybe we'll sign him. It depends what you guys think. And post Ray Rice, like it was the Ravens were playing what amounted to playoff games in December, multiple years controlling their own fate to go in the state, you know, to go in the playoffs and the stadium was empty and you couldn't give seats away. And people were trying to sell their PSLs for 75 cents on the dollar. So to see, this back to being Purple Fridays and people talking Ravens year-round 
and to have this bright, shiny object in, in Lamar Jackson that's galvanized everybody in a positive way. Um, I just think it's great for the city. I'm glad to see it. it. I'm glad to see people enthusiastic and eager to see this with their own eyes um, and just embrace Lamar because they didn't immediately last year. And even coming into this year, there was a large, loud segment of the population here who were sort of conscientious objectors or, or just plain haters. And I don't know how you can – like if you still find some reason not to embrace this young man – then that is completely entirely on you and not on him because everything about him is sort of a beacon of joy and light and the way he carries himself, the way he is with kids. And this isn't when the cameras are around, just the way he treats ancillary staff in that building, the way he treats people who work in the cafeteria, the way he treats ball boys, the way he treats fans, the way he goes about his business, how hard he works and, and the joy he brings to um, his job and his existence is infectious and that's a cool thing. Yeah, I mean, he got booed during the playoff. Uh, oh, I mean, they were they were they were screaming for Flacco. Yeah, they would have um, that time, even though like it's you know the Chargers defense was good. Flacco wasn't going to magically come. Well, and Lamar was running for his life, and Marty Morningweg put in a brain dead scheme where um, the best thing they have going for him is three tight end sets. So let's run none of them against a team that's playing a bunch of you know two hundred and twenty five pound <laughs> linebackers and safeties. Hmm. Yeah, it would seem like the absolute wrong time to get away from your heavy stuff, but let's let's come out slinging it all over the place because yeah, they do have like eight defensive backs out there. Maybe they'll pick us off. Hey. I mean, look, there was a lot that went into that meltdown. But people also forget that Lamar dominated the second half of that game and made a one-score game out of something that had no business, you know, being even remotely close. And Joe Flacco's career probably would have ended that day, given the way Gus Bradley was attacking the quarterback and giving the lack of mobility that Joe Flacco has. Yeah, and to that point, I wonder, should should Ravens fans, and maybe uh, we, the general we, because we love watching Lamar Jackson and seeing all the things he does, should we be concerned that uh, Greg Roman could get a head coaching job out of this offensive coordinator gig that he's done in 2019 and end up departing Lamar Jackson? Is that a possibility? Well, I, I, don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, you know, what Greg Roman does is pretty extreme, and it's the polar opposite of every trend that's going on in this league. And it's the polar opposite of what these owners, you know, who get so copycat so fast have been looking for. He, he ain't the next Sean McVay, you know what I mean? Um, I think there's a greater chance they lose Wink Martindale, their defensive coordinator, but they've been losing defensive coordinators since, you know, Marvin Lewis was here 20 years ago. So that's nothing new either. Um no, I, I, and, and look, James Urban, the quarterback coach, is really smart, and he, he's the guy, like, that's the guy you don't want to really lose. I mean, the scheme, like, Harbaugh gets it. Harbaugh's dad was a college coach. Like, Harbaugh's brother is a college coach. They, they know what works for them, and they know their personnel inside out, and they've got a really smart front office. I think it's, when, like, when I spent time around there in the spring, there would be, like, two practices going on. They'd, like, the whole team on one field – and it would be Lamar and the other quarterbacks on the other field with maybe a receiver or two, maybe not. And, like, this wasn't, like, a 10-minute, like, footwork session. Like, they'd be over there for 35 minutes just working on keeping the hips in tune with the ankles and when the hips turn, where the, you know, I mean, where the shoulders are and just doing these things with elastic bands and all, all this sort of muscle memory stuff that eventually 
just got to be sort of rote for him. Um, so I think that – I mean, that's the guy who I, I think if – I mean, there's plenty of credit to go around to, for everybody. First and foremost, to Lamar, to Lamar Jackson, who, you know, came in last year getting no reps on a team and a franchise that was in tatters at four and five and falling apart again and, like, just beat everybody except for the Chiefs at Arrowhead. And really, if Eric Weddle plays the ball, they, they win that one too. I mean – and he was doing it with, with – them just adopting a new scheme on the fly. I mean, the week the first game against Cincinnati, he spent like two days that week in the hospital. He didn't even practice that week. Yeah. So I just think in real time, people for whatever reasons wouldn't accept that for what it was. And um, he's grown, and they've grown, and it's it's just it, I mean, people around here are just stunned. It's like we we actually get to watch a fun football team. Like it was great having all those defenses and winning with Ed. You know, and Ray and, you know, Suggs and, you know, go back to Ballware and all those guys. But it's so cool to, to see something different, you know, because people around here were just conditioned to expect the defense will carry the offense and the quarterback's going to be limited and it is what it is. Would you go Russ or Lamar for MVP right now? I think I'd still go Russ. Of course. But, I mean, and Deshaun's right there. Yeah, as yeah. well. Kirk Cousins. Um, but I just think both these teams would be lost without these guys. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I mean, you look at Baltimore. If you take Lamar. Hollywood Brown. You know what I mean? Hollywood Brown's explosive. But the rest of the passing game, I mean, it's it's, three, it's tight ends. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's Andrews, it's Boyle, and it's a little bit of Hayden Hurst. I mean, I, I had the number in my column. I think, I mean, he's completing – like 75 or 77% of his passes to tight ends this year. And, I mean, yesterday was another one where like he only, he only completed, I think, 17 passes. He didn't, he didn't have to do that much. It was just chunk, chunk play, chunk play, chunk play. And then it was over before it started. But I think he was like 12 of 14 for 160 and two touchdowns to the, to the tight ends yesterday. Yeah, he's been, uh, he's been pretty awesome. So it's, it's not like you take him out of this, though, and it's not like – the other personnel would be elevating some other quarterback. You know what I mean? Like they still don't have a secondary receiver. You know, Boykin is really hit or miss, more miss than hit. You know, Willie Sneed's a guy who catches five-yard slants to keep your drive alive. They, they still don't have a second guy on the outside that you have to worry about at all. And then, I mean, Seattle probably has better personnel, but that defense has just been god-awful. I mean, it, it really is. Russell Wilson's a one-man gang. You take Russell Wilson off that team. I think you're looking at, you know, a three and six operation. Yeah, it wouldn't be very good. Uh, I think Lamar's accounted for like 72% of the, the Ravens yard. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. A lot of season to play out, but I think they're, they're right there right now. Uh, we're going to play a very quick, we have a guest, uh, speaker for our long running game of hot take or just right. So, uh, let's hear what Mr. Sam Darnold has to say. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we need everyone from now on, uh, you know, cause we still got a chance. I'm, you know, if we got on a roll here and we, we went out, we got a chance to play off. So guys in this locker room know this. And, you know, we're just we're really excited to continue to get back to work. Hot taker just right. The Jets have a chance to make the playoffs. <laughs> there's a chance my Sunday observation column from yesterday may win a Pulitzer Prize. I mean, there's a chance. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a chance. I mean, I'm going to chalk that up to the folly of youth. What is he, 22 years old? 
Yeah. Is, he even, is he even 23 yet? Maybe he's 23. Maybe Good for Sam. They haven't had a whole lot to celebrate around there. Um, Me too. Yeah. That's a hobby. He, he, he knows not what he says. It's cute. Um, how bad are the Giants? My God. Uh, that, that thing, being in New York yesterday and, and seeing all the <laughs> reading, you know, looking at the back page of the post of the Daily News, that was a, that was a lose-lose proposition. Nobody was going to come out of that game looking great. Um, the Jets won. That's cool. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, no, they're not going to the playoffs, dude. Come on. You, you know, you wrote about this on, and I want to touch on this as sort of a segue to it, but like, you mentioned that there was a split between, in the front office between Adam Gase and Todd Munkin. Obviously, um, you know, for Mike McCagnin's sake, you should. McCagnin and the owners were, were Team Gase, yeah. Whoops, because you got, you got Game of Thrones, buddy. You hired Gase yeah. and he got you in the back. Um, yeah. on Munkin, McCagnin probably still has a job, right? I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely think those guys have a job. Um, and, you know, what would, how different would the offense look? I mean, Sam Darnold, does he, I guess he still gets mono, right? Um, you know, I guess Kaleche Osamoe still has the, you know what I mean? The, the still needs to get shoulder surgery or whatever. I mean, I, I don't know if that plays out exactly the same way. If it was under previous management. Um, but yeah, it, you know. I think it would have been um, a lot less tumultuous, probably. By the way, Todd Munkin has a strict uh, no makeout in the offseason policy, so he would have been fine. No, no mono. Um, I don't think Todd Munkin has a chance. Uh, what about with the? Uh, do, do we think Gase keep, is, gonna, is on track to keep his job at this point? Uh, I think that the the Jets ownership and front office doth protest too much with their rampant signaling to anybody who will listen in the media that nothing to see here, nothing to see here. We're not listening to the fans. Like we're good. I'm not buying any of that. Um, I'm also not buying that he would get fired in season. You know what I mean? Like, but will there be questions asked at the end of the year? If this is who they are? Yeah. I mean, if the quarterback is it, I mean, look, he had a nice game against a giants defense that everybody has a nice game against. Like what's, you know, They've, and they've got winnable games coming up, but if they don't win them, you're going to tell me there's no consequences like across the board? No, sorry, I'm not buying that. The first week of December, they've got the Bengals and the and the and the Dolphins. Like, if they manage to only split that, or you know, God, lose them both. I mean, yeah, there will be ramifications come January. So, um, as much as they want to act like they're not hearing anything in their heads in the sand, they read everything, they hear everything. It's impossible to be in that city for any period of time and not get bombarded with the angst of Jets Nation. Uh, that's real, and it affects the bottom line, and, and it affects your ability to market your team and sell your team, and they're, they're going to have to show signs of life down the stretch. I'm sorry. What about in Cleveland? Um, they, you know, they they stole a win from the Bills, although the Bills, I guess, stole it from them at first. Um, and you also reported on Sunday that the Browns analytics department had actually recommended Kevin Stefanski, who's helped to reinvent yeah. the Vikings offense for the Browns head coaching job over Freddie Kitchens. Obviously, John Dorsey, um, not a member of the analytics department, but listens, uh, went with, went with Kitchens instead. Is it, is, is Freddie safe? Well, I'm not going to put it on John Dorsey. It's, it's on the Haslam's. I mean, uh, the, the, 
you know what I mean? Owners hire coaches. Um, and owners are intimately involved. And these, these, you know, the Haslam's have sort of gone by their gut to this point. I mean, four years, years ago, or whatever it was, five years ago, I guess it was probably four, you know, it was, well, we, 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 we built up this analytics model. We brought these guys in. Like, yeah, we're going to make a Browns decision. Yeah, whatever. The owner decides. Um, if, the, if those guys got their choice, if they had their druthers, they thought Sean McDermott was the most qualified candidate. He didn't get the job. This time around, and people in the Browns organization could say, well, this doesn't matter because ultimately, you know, everybody's working together and, we're all, you know, they're all making the decision and, you know, it's being led by John Dorsey. Well, just telling you that Paul DePodesta's sort of quadrant of the organization made it clear they, they really felt like Kevin Stefanski was the best and the brightest. That's, they, they, that's not who they went with. So it just is what it is. By the way, I have a recommendation for the uh, for the. Cleaners. Every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. <laughs> my life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. Every instinct I have in every aspect of life, be it something to wear, something to eat, it's all been wrong. <laughs> Everyone. Tuna on toast, coleslaw, cup of coffee. Yeah. That is my recommendation for Jimmy Haslam. Maybe he. We've got. We, look at us. We're all high tech now. Look, you guys are big time. I know, we got some, uh, I, I, I didn't, I'm actually doing these on the fly. Diva's like, what is he doing? He's going rogue. Um, but, uh, I recommend that Jimmy has him order, uh, chicken salad on, uh, on, uh, untoasted on wheat, um, with the side of whatever it is. Costanza gets there. It's, that's, that's maybe just do whatever, do the opposite of whatever you think you should do, Jimmy, when it comes to running your Browns franchise. Because if you're following your gut, every instinct you've had in, run, in running this team has been wrong. Um, I, I feel like if there's 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 a stretch of games here. They get the Steelers at home on Thursday. And look, I don't. I mean, the Steelers. I think that's a that's a tough spot. I I don't. For I mean, sure. I like, hey, do you know what the line is in this game? I have not looked. I'm still licking my wounds from this past week. What would you guess it is? They, Vegas liked the Browns last week, right? I mean, Vegas had the Browns as favorites over Browns the Bills. Over the Bills, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Cleveland minus two. So yeah, Browns minus two and a half or Browns minus three. That's I don't. I mean, I know the Steelers aren't very good, especially offensively with Mason Rudolph, and he looks limited to different varying capacities. But they know who they are. They don't beat themselves. They're the opposite of the Browns. They overcome things rather than succumb to things. And the defense is menacing. And Baker Mayfield's been a take giveaway machine. And the Steelers, since Minka Fitzpatrick got there, have been a takeaway machine. Yeah, that's what Something's I'm saying. Something's got to give, Will Brinson. <laughs> I know, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, if I'm, I, I took the Steelers immediately. I love the Steelers in this spot because the Browns do dumb stuff, and yeah. they will give you opportunities to take the ball away to set yourself up in a beneficial position in terms of field, in terms of like where you are on the field and where your drive starts. But I mean, like, th- th- this will be this this will be an interesting referendum for me on on Kitchens because they won yesterday because they ran the ball. They had 100 yards rushing in the first half. The Bills' rushing defense the last three weeks has gone away and and hidden, and it may end up costing them the playoffs. Um, and they had, I think, uh, Hunt played about half the snaps. He got over 10 touches, which I reported he was going to. And according to next-gen stats, Hunt and uh, Chubb were on the field together for 43% of the total offensive snaps. 
Of the times they were on the field together, Chubb generated 113 of his 116 yards, and Hunt had all four of his rushes for 30 yards, pretty healthy average. And the Steelers destroy you in the passing game now, right? They're, 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 they're turning people over in the secondary left and right, and they've got two guys coming off the edge who are wreaking havoc, plus Cam Hayward moving all over the place. You would think, right, that and it's a short week and we can't get too cute, not a lot of time to prepare. Mm-hmm. Like, Woody, what would logic tell you the Browns should do Thursday night? The same thing that logic told me they should do against the Bills, who ranked the 30th in terms of explosive plays allowed in the rush game, and also 30th in terms of DVOA against the run. And yet they still try to feed Odell Beckham. So I think that they're probably going to, they should probably run the ball a ton. They should load up with Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And I still think that they'll try and force feed Odell Beckham, especially because it's a primetime game. And I think that's going to result in one to two interceptions by Baker Mayfield. And, the- and so we'll see, you know what I mean? Like it'd be pretty simple. Like, you know, if, if I, you're, you're want to evaluate your staff. I mean, how do they approach this? And, yeah. How should they approach this? And, um, I mean, Kareem Hunt, there was a time in that game where the, a lot of the Browns looked like they were just looking at each other like, who's going to try to do something here? And it was Chubb and Hunt who were who were trying. So I, I don't know what film they're watching or what they see, but that seemed pretty obvious to me. Um, and, I mean, like, you know, the red zone play calling is still, you know, the fades and the, the – the, telegraphed runs. I mean, there's there's still a lot to unpack there. But they found a way to win that game. But I, I just think if they're going to have a template Thursday night, it, it's got to be this. If it's just come out to establish Odell and, you know, try deep shots or whatever, Godspeed. Because the, the, you said it, you're absolutely right. The quarterback will be good for two or three turnovers if that's the case. Yeah. Um, I love the Steelers in the spot because I think the Browns are dummies and they'll, they won't, they won't follow with the running thing. Um, we saw a bunch of trades. Jalen Ramsey kind of paying off. Mika Fitzpatrick paying off very nicely. Uh, what, one other trade that I want to look at really quickly while we're talking about quarterbacks too is Cam Newton. It seems like for everything I hear, and I, we talked about this, you know, last week and over the past few weeks, I, I really think Cam just doesn't want to have surgery. Like he doesn't want to have surgery because he right. knows he knows the position it will put him and the team in vis-a-vis his contract status come March. Because if he's not covered, they're just going to have to – like if he's not healthy by March, they're probably going to have to let him go even though his contract is cheap. I mean, they don't have to. I mean, they could well, – like, I mean, But here's the thing. Because the other guy is going to be tendered at 585, you yeah. still have less than $20 million tied up in your quarterbacks. So – you know, you don't have to make the you don't have to make that trade at the start of the league year. You know what I mean? Maybe he needs to come in and show what he can do a little bit in OTAs. You know what I mean? I mean, you'd like to be able to make it before the draft, obviously. Um, you know, but that might be possible. You know what I mean? He might be able to run around a little bit in March and you know March and April, and that's enough, you know, to pull the trigger. So my thinking is more like, and this and this is again, and I wrote about this last week. It is all contingent on what the Panthers do this year and what David Tepper decides to do with Marty Herney and Ron Rivera. And like, I don't think right. any, I don't think anybody really knows because he's a billionaire hedge fund manager who might see a window to reboot everything and to bring in his, you know, his own guys for a team that he paid $2 billion for. That's his prerogative. He wants to do it. He can do it. Um, but if Cam is healthy, do you think that the Panthers keep him, trade him? Like, how do you think? What do you think the various alter- the various paths and how they play out? What, what what seems most likely to you? 
Well, I mean, I, I think as long as he's relatively healthy, that that's a tradable commodity. Um, and Kyle Allen, I don't know that he's, you know, going to be transcendent or whatever, but he could certainly play in the league, and he's certainly meshing with, you know, the receivers. And he, that was a tough spot yesterday, and he didn't back down or flinch. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but... I mean, I still don't even know if McCaffrey scored or not. You know what I mean? Like, he, I mean, I think they may have tied the game. You know, like I, I and and you're in the snow in Lambeau against you know a, a team that just got exposed last week and is is out for blood. I mean, he looks like an NFL quarterback. Uh, he throws the ball down the field. The last two weeks, he's done a really good job throwing the ball down the field. I've been very impressed. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of clay there to mold and. I, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen, but I, I do know that when Tepper bought the team, it's not like he was running around to his friends and confidants saying, "I got Cam Newton. We got Cam Newton." You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're going to we're going to win a Super Bowl with Cam Newton. It, it wasn't that. It was like, "What do you think of Cam?" And you know, I like this and I like that, but I don't know about this. What do you? You know what I mean? What do you guys think? And man, is this a, you know what I mean? Like, do you think I need to come in and give him an extension? Cause like, I'm not really in a hurry to give him an extension. Like I, I'm not sure. You know what I mean? I'm not sure what I'm going to do with the quarterback. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with the coach. So that's the, you know what I mean? That's the reality. And then Cam looked like an MVP for six weeks and then he's never been healthy again. You know I mean? The Cam Newton, David Tepper marriage has been wounded. It's been hurt. I mean, he hasn't been right. So, you know, Alex Smith got traded for two twos. If Cam Newton's healthy, you know what I mean? I'm talking about Alex Smith when he went from not, you know, Alex Smith after the Cousins thing. San Francisco. Alex to Smith from San Francisco to Kansas City. Yeah. You, you're going you're gonna, to you're at least get two twos for Cam. Andy Reid, the all-time swindler of quarterback deals, gave up two twos for Alex Smith. Yeah, I mean, do you think you think you get a first So, one? you know what I mean? And what would that do for the organization? And, and he's better than Alex Smith, obviously, but he's also more beat up than Alex Smith at this point. But regardless, I mean, what would that do? I, I don't know. I mean, this is they're going to have to sort – I mean, first of all, to your first point, who, who's the coach and who's the GM? Yeah. You know what I mean? And what, and what do they think? And are you hiring – you know what I mean? If, you, if, if, if we do get to a point where he's conducting interviews – is the cart leading the horse or is the horse leading the cart? You know what I mean? Is the word kind of out that, hey, he's ready to move on for Cam? Like, that's the, you know what I mean? When he asks, that's the right answer. You know what I mean? Or, or is it a different sort of process? And, again, this is all hypothetical. Um, you know, but yeah. I, I, I think Marty's built a, a, a great roster, um, a very good roster. They've had really bad luck. You know what I mean? It's like if they knew how hurt the quarterback was the first two weeks. Um they at least split those games. You know what I mean? I think if Kyle Allen plays the Tampa Bay Bucks on a short week, Thursday, week two, they probably win that game. I mean, Cam was clearly, you know what I mean? The second half there especially was bad. And they might fall one win short. I, I don't know. I just think it's a little different with the coach and the GM because, you know, the, the coach could make the case, rightfully so, that, okay, I'm in a lame duck year like, how about, you know, five, you know, 45 for five, mm. That's, you know, a little different than the GM. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, if you're Ron Rivera, this looks like a bleak coaching market. If you're Ron Rivera, you know, it's sort of like where Harbaugh was last year. Like you're not doing any band. You know what I mean? You're not doing any more one-year deals. You're not doing any band-aid cosmetic things. 
It's like, here's the going more, here's the going rate. Like, yeah, I should get, you know, probably a five-year deal and it's going to be between eight and nine a year, you know, on average, maybe even a little more. I don't know. And I, would somebody else be willing to do that? Sure. Is Tepper absolutely going to do it? I don't know if anybody could say absolutely. I, I think that's all under review. I, I, yeah, I mean, I think if they make the playoffs, then it's going to be tough for David Tepper to change. Like, I think Marty Herney's done a really good job since he came back. Um, I and think, I think Ron has too, but it's just, yeah. you know what I mean? It, with the coach too, it's a personality thing. You know what I mean? It's, there's so much more that goes into it. The coach is talking to the media, you know, five times a week. The coach is talking to sponsors. You know what I mean? The coach, it's just a different. Yeah, for sure. The coach is sort of your main message, you know, messaging leader and, and, it's, you know, and, and the coach is one of your highest paid employees. And so it's like, is that, is that a guy who Tepper's going to marry himself to, you know, for another six years, one year left and you add four or five? I, I don't know. Um, you know what I mean? How that fit will be. He's been in the league long enough, you know what I mean, to have some ideas about other people and who else does it well. I mean, it, it, it it's going, it's going to be interesting. Um, it's just as tough as the NFC is, I just worry about, you know, if I'm a Panthers fan, I'm starting to wonder, do we come up, you know what I mean, one game short or one tiebreaker short because of a head-to-head loss here or there? Yeah, the Panthers are currently ninth. They're 5-4. and four. They have two games left against the Falcons, one game left against the Redskins, two huge games against the Saints. Yeah. You know, I don't think the Panthers are going to sweep the Saints, but there is, you know, the fact of the matter is that, you know, they're two games back and they have two games against the team that they're trailing. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, they could, I don't, this is not a team that's probably going to win out or anything like that, but, um, it does seem like, you know, barring some kind of crazy bears run or, uh, anything like that, we don't, nobody, thinks no. right. I mean, I'm just saying, um, that we know our nine teams who are going to be involved in the NFC playoff race. Um, I would, I would anticipate that just one team comes out of the NFC East. They're both at five and four. Yes. Uh, and that leaves the Panthers and the Rams, who are also at five and four, to try and make up ground against a wild card where the seven and three Vikings, who just went on the road in prime time and beat, you know, won a game against a winning team, uh, are, are the sixth seed. I mean, that's, there's a, it's going to be tough to make up that kind of ground, you know? So yeah, if you're Carolina, you need, you need to win these four divisional games or come close or go three and one more than likely. Um, and even then it, it, it might not be enough. And, and, like Ron Rivera's come out and said, and I know he went for two late against the Packers, and that was the smart analytical move. Well, down he scored a touchdown, down fourteen mm-hmm. for two. You get up to six. There's a whole bunch of math that says that that is the right analytical move. He is sort of bad. He sort of bashed analytics earlier in the week. David Tepper, when he came in, said, "We want more analytics. We yeah. want this team to be more analytically driven." And so I think yeah. in Marty Herney. Not an analytics guy, and that's okay. Like that's just not his thing, right? I mean, like. He's... But I mean, there's. But like, I think it's easier to sort of um, overhaul's too strong of a. It, it's easier to kind of have a meshing or a you know bringing more numbers into the evaluation thing than mm-hmm. it is to change a coach's sort of DNA. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I you know, you're always going to need evaluators. Like, you, you if, if, let's say it is the end of Cam and it is the end of Ron. I don't know that it has to be the end of Marty. You know what I mean? Because 
you still want eyes. You know what I mean? You st- he'd still be a great guy to have, you know, going to colleges every week, which he's doing now as the GM anyway. You know what I mean? So I am not. I, I just think it's it's a little different with with a head coach in terms of yes, if there is going to be some sort of philosophical, you know, overarching changes coming to how the Panthers operate as a football organization. Um, yeah, I think it's a little different dynamic for coach than GM. I am not advocating for either Marty Herney or Ron Rivera to be fired or even Cam Newton to be cut. I mean, I think it's a wait and see situation. I just firmly believe that anyone who has done what David Tepper's done for his entire life and then paid two million, two billion dollars for a, for a football team. Yeah, basically two point three billion, like cash, like basically stroke the check. I mean, like if I bought a football team for two point three billion dollars, I'm going to want to it to be my. You know what I mean? Like you're gonna. Yeah, and if you're Ron too, like you know. You know you've got other options, you know what I mean? And if there's certain, certain, you know, certain spots you want to change and certain, you know, Leopard has his spots, whatever they say, you know what I mean? The clear Leopard has his Like, you might be willing to change a few spots, but there might be others where you're like, hey, man, like, I see the marketplace too. You know what I mean? Like, if I'm not your guy or you're not my guy at the end of the day, like, that's cool. I'm, I'm willing to bend certain ways, but I also know what got me here, and I know that this will be very sellable in a lot of other places. You know what I mean? And if it comes to that, I get it. You know what I mean? No hard feelings, but I'm not – you know what I mean? I'm not going to just do everything, you know what I mean, the way you might want it done. And that's okay. You know, and if at the end of the day there's certain, you know, ramifications from that, I'm going to be okay, and he's going to be okay. Especially in a market where, as we've talked about, all these McVeigh clones came in, or all these young offensive minds have come in, and they like Zach Taylor's zero and nine now. You know, um, yeah, it, it hadn't worked out for a lot of these guys. Somebody would almost certainly be willing to take a gamble on a established. Yeah, he, he would. He would look. He would, he would have no shortage of suitors. And you could understand, like, it's, I mean, I know people freak out about it, but, like, you can understand that it might it might just be time for him and his family to go, and it might just be time for David Tepper, you know what I mean, to handpick somebody who he thinks, you know, is going to be there for 10 or 15 years or whatever. Yeah. And like, look, that's natural. Like, that's how things work, not just in football, but in business, and this is ultimately a business. Um, speaking of, last thing, we'll get you out of here very quickly, but you wrote about this on Sunday as well. Uh, Jeff Bezos, what's an NFL team? Yeah. Would um would we start seeing drones dropped mid game? Like here's your here's your playbook. Yeah. Um, I mean, just I'm curious. Not only like I mean, hey, if Jeff Bezos wants to buy an NFL team, I mean, he can outbid. You know, he could have bought the Panthers. Yeah. Like, he could have he could have paid cash for the Panthers and paid three point five whatever it is. You know, he's not gonna he's a smart businessman. He's not gonna overpay it. If he wants to get an NFL team and one is up for sale, he can probably find one. I'm curious how though, Jason. Let's say he gets one. How would this work in terms of integration of Amazon? Not only as a video partner, but like you know. Oh uh, yeah, there's a lot. Like trust me, the other owners look at him and they're like, we want this guy in our club. Um, he could be good. By, I mean, by club, I'm like fraternity, whatever you want to call, Wonderful. you know, the 32 people who sit there and control this league. Um, yeah, he's he's looked upon, you know, very fondly for what he could do for marketing, merchandising, um, streaming, the whole, the whole nine yards. He's very attractive on a lot of levels. I think with him, there's obviously been a lot going on. Um, 
right, the divorce and, and buying, like in the last five years, I think he's, there's been quite a bit going on with him. Um, buying the Washington Post, right, moving the Washington Post to New Digs, picking out all the uh, East Coast distribution centers, right, is he going to put the big Amazon Prime thing in Brooklyn? Oh, they don't really want it. I mean, all, you know what I mean? This, but pretty much that stuff's done now, you know, and his mansion that he's getting built in D.C. is, is finally almost done. And he's going to be on the East Coast a lot, and it's a two-hour train ride, or whatever, three hours on the Acela from D.C. to New York, and it's real easy to get up to the league office and have lunch with Roger and whatever else. So, yeah, I think it's something to to watch, um, you know, especially if the CBA is done, you know what I mean, quickly, and what does that mean for some owners, and is there an owner who's sitting there saying, okay, well, I'm going to ride this way for a few more years and cash out. There's obviously situations with some ownership groups like Denver, and Seattle that don't, you know, are, are in terms of long term aren't settled. Uh, and yeah, he's he's uh, was it Roger was in Rogers' box at the Super Bowl and has been, has been spending a lot of time with Dan Snyder in D.C. I think the first step is, is I could see him trying to help Snyder get this downtown stadium built, and maybe that's Amazon Field. You know what I mean? At whatever, whatever. Uh, but he's gotten a lot. He's gotten a lot of real estate deals done in D.C. recently, um, including in the exact area where Snyder wants the stadium. So that's something I'd keep an eye on. Would the owners want him to take over for Dan Snyder? I mean, do they want? I mean, yeah. They, I mean, I don't think Dan's selling. I mean, this is. I mean, I don't think Dan's anywhere close to selling. I think Dan will cling to that team for dear life forever because I don't know that his other entities make him any money, <sighs> and and he knows he's not making money with this team the way he should be, and he's looking at the downtown stadium as his salvation. Um, so yeah, but I mean, is there a way to work? I'm not just, I mean, and if he does get a stadium built, like how much liquidity does he have right now to put into it and whatever? I I don't know. I mean, he's got really super rich minority owners as well, but you know, if you've got Bezos helping you with the stadium rights deal or whatever, it, it can't hurt. Uh, but no, I, I don't see, I don't see him uh, being involved in, in purchasing the skins or anything like that. And I don't think Dan would want to sell anytime soon. But there are going to be other teams that hit the market. It's just inevitable. All right, Bezos, bring him on. Amazon, our new corporate overlords. I love it. Uh, Jason Lacafora, as always, buddy, a pleasure to talk to you to kick off a Monday. We will uh, holler at you next week, man. Look forward to it. Thanks, buddy. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam, with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here.